there is uh, something that I'd like to share with you as we look at the um, Advent, um, Advent candles and the Advent wreath. Today is um, the third week, the third Sunday of Advent, and the theme is love. And the theme is love. It's thought, it struck me that love is the be-all and the end-all, the, the very substance of God's character and His power even. He, I remember when once uh, T.F. Torrance was uh, dis- describing to a vast number of students at Princeton uh, about the, the vast, vastness of the universe, the stars and the galaxies and all that. And uh, one person spoke up and said, that makes me really scared. I'm really afraid. And, Ton- and Torrance, who, who, was an, who was elderly at that time, said, don't worry, dear. That's just how much he loves you. That his power and his, his, his intelligence, his, his wisdom is not separated from his love. The love is at the, at the core of it all. You know, That's really amazing. Now, I want to tell you that I don't hear much expression of the love of God in America for some reason. Even in the worship, there's not a lot that I've heard of people expressing love to God. It's just like saying, I love you to God. There isn't that. I don't hear that much. I hear a lot of like, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do great things for you. You're going to fulfill my dreams. I'm going to be a great person. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be the best this or best that. And I want to do missions. I want to do a lot of things. I've not heard that much expression of just that melting of love, you know, that's poured out before God. And I sometimes wonder whether it's possible for us to actually miss out on God's love and therefore miss out on the very main thing that has to do with God. Um, if you can turn with me to Matthew, I will, the reading for today's Advent I, I, it has been chosen from this incident of the wise men. In Matthew chapter 2, Now after Jesus, verse 1, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, shall shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Jerusalem, saying, so sorry, to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went, to their way, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And that's an interesting thought because we tend to think of Christmas as a time in which we receive gifts. We tend to think about our relationship with God, our Christianity is one in which God does something for us and God, you know, He heals us, He he blesses us. He, you know, he he uh, he forgives us, and he does all these things. And he has great blessings for us. He has a destiny for us. He has a future for us, a future and a hope, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really struck by the fact that the, these wise men, when they came, and their first 
meeting with Jesus was not one in which they got something from him, but they gave something to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it seems as if that their encounter with Jesus was one prepared for beforehand. Surely they brought the gold, frankincense, and myrrh from back east, you know. But they brought them and it overflowed in a giving to Jesus. As opposed to our Christmas commercialism, which is receiving something from Christmas. And I wonder whether it's because something deeper happened to them, something more profound took place in their hearts when they sought him and found that the, the star led exactly to the place where he was laying. You know? And I think about the love of God that must have touched them in such a way that they were liberated from any sense of worry about their own kind of resources, their own livelihood and all that. But they, it set them free. I tell you, I think love is not characterized by sentiments, sentimental words or lovey-dubbies. But I think love is characterized by that giving and that even that thing that is of God that takes place, that transforms our hearts, that separates us and liberates us and frees us up to become people who are so freed up that we can only think of giving rather than what we can get out of things. And I believe that the Advent, as we celebrate the love of God, God has has spoken in his scriptures that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It has been. That's amazing. He has The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And yet I'm quite aware of the fact that many of us may not have even felt the love of God. It's embarrassing sometimes when we think about loving God. We can think of doing things for God, we think, we think of ministering for God or loving people in a certain way, but loving God's sometimes a, a thing that causes us some unease because of the fact that perhaps we've not encountered the love of God in our lives. And I think that is partly why when I first came to America, I was struck by the fact that there were no songs that were being sung that talk about how much. We love God. There was, there felt like there's no desire to, no, or no need to express love, outpouring love to God, because perhaps the people that I was with have not known the love of God. It's not a condemnation, not a, a expression of anything that is de- that is a deficient. In fact, the love of God has been shed abroad in our, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. But I wonder whether part of this journey of Advent is one in which God wants to reveal His love to you. And love, love, love to you in such a way that it's transforming. You're not worried too much. You're not obsessed too much about what you'll get out of things. But being taken up by the love of God. I experienced Christianity for many years not knowing that I was loved by God. If there was one thing that I could nail as my issue with Christianity is that I don't feel loved by God. I just did not feel loved by God. I knew about all the duties that I had, all the things that I need to be before God and other things that God does for me, but I still couldn't Apprehend the love of God. Feel the love of God. Know the love of God. I felt that God cares for me. It takes care of me. God is faithful to His Word. God is everything that He says. He's infinitely good. But I didn't feel personally loved by God. And my search for Him was one in which I just needed to know one thing, that God loved me. Uh, God loved me. There's that song, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all. Just to know that God loves me. When you know the love of God, 
everything changes. You touch a place in which, in, the, in, the, in, in contact with the love of God, everything melts. Everything melts. Now, I am not an emotional person. I've got to tell you that. But I can't help it because whenever I start talking about the love of God, more often than not, it's almost as if I hit that zone and I, I can't hold it together because of the fact that the love of God has undone me. I've been undone by the love of God. And because it's, I'm, I'm, I'm undone by the love of God, my relationship with God moves away, years away from the kind of cost-benefit analysis because of the fact that there are things that I move to do because of the love of God. Not because I'm, 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 a, I'm a loving person, but because the love of God has changed me. And I do feel that. I do feel that. Even on an emotional level. If you've not felt the love of God in your life, may I say that this Christmas, if you would seek Him like the wise man, you will find Him. And you'll find that He is all of love. Or if not, you will find parts of God very hard to deal with. You think of His holiness, you feel His righteousness, His power, His greatness and His wisdom, His in infinite intelligence and all that. But you won't be able to hold these things together because sometimes they will conflict. you find His mercy and His justice fight. You'll find His justice and His justice fight too. you find these things contradictory. But if you know the love of God, they all come together in such a way that even when even the severe parts are part of his love, then you'll know a love strong as death. And I want to put it to you that, that, that the love of God shed abroad in our hearts changes us completely. Amen? Now, just as a small application of this, by no means does the summing up of it, if you look up 9th and 10th of December, there is an opportunity for you to, do, to actually show the love of God as well in the body. One, one thing about C.S. Lewis is he says, don't struggle about whether you, feel the love of, whether you love God or not. Just do things of love. Because love is an action, right? Not, not, a, not a feeling, not a sentiment. On the 9th and 10th, there is an opportunity for you to bless somebody in the body, bless somebody in the church, and I would suggest that if, you know, knowing that there is a, a showing of the chosen and, and they are charging $11 per person, perhaps you may want to bless a, a brother or a sister who has, because of Christmas, found that her or his wallet got a little thin. But you would love to, to bless that person. An act of love would be one, wonderful. Yeah. It's called Chris Kringle. I was wondering who was Chris Kringle. I thought it was St. Nicholas who was the one who did all these great things of giving. But apparently Chris Kringle is from the, from the movie from 1947 called Miracle on 34th Street. So anyway, on the 9th of the 10th, if you would like to share something with a brother or sister. Perhaps you don't know who it is. Perhaps you do know who it is. You may designate, or perhaps you don't know. But you know you, know you want to give something to somebody. Um, a suggestion would be to actually share that. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come to, come to you today and uh, dig out our spiritual inheritance because it's there, shining, waiting for us. Whether we pay attention to it or not, we ask you that even now, that which you have desired so much for your church, be exposed today. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you that in this spirit of Christmas, we will find an inheritance so rich, so liberating, that we will never thirst again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Last, uh, last week and, and before that, we've been talking about an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance that Isaac had. And we spoke about this inheritance as the inheritance of Christ, the inheritance that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob had, and their descendants. And we spoke about the fact that today, we are the descendants of Abraham. We are joined by, by Christ's blood into the commonwealth of Israel to such an extent that all the things that God promised in the Old Testament and New Testament become ours. Yeah? We are recipients, we are heirs uh, with Christ. He has made us sit with heavenly places and we become heirs of His uh, glory and, and, and His ministry. So much so that Christ can go as far as to say that the things that I have done, you can do as well, and even greater things. That's an amazing, that's our spiritual inheritance. We spoke about the fact that in, and the inheritance is something that's always there. It's, it's, it's inlaid. In First Peter, it says it's reserved in heaven. Heaven, where is heaven? Not up there, but in here, in our spirit. Inlaid in our spirit. So much so that when we hear stories about miracles and God doing great things to different people, we're talking about our inheritance, not just something that happened historically and is cut off from us, but it is it's not just particular things, but it's something that is generalized. It's something for all of us. And I, and I spoke about the fact that we can experience it today. In fact, God requires us and expects us to ex- experience this inheritance. Amen? Today, I want, to, I want to talk about one key, one pathway into that, and it's called sonship. Sonship. And when the Bible talks about sonship, it does not refer to gender at all. Yeah? Sonship is something else that, that it's important for us to actually be able to get a hold of because God, when He calls us to be inheritors and calls us to be heirs, He calls us sons. We call, them, we call ourselves sons and daughters. And that's, one way to, that's a good way, to, an appropriate way today to actually describe this. We are sons and daughters of Him which means we're not just a mass of kind of progeny. We actually carry within us the fullness of Christ's inheritance in us so that we can do the works that He has done progressively, more and more, more and more, more and more. So we, are, we, are, we, we can be growing in this. Amen? Now, I'm going to make a statement that may be surprising for some of you, but I will try to explain that. Not all of us are sons and daughters in that sense, in the biblical sense. We can be children of God, but we are not necessarily sons and daughters because being a son and daughter is somebody who's actually doing the things that the father is doing. You may be a child of God, but you may not be a son or daughter of God in the biblical sense because you are not manifesting the nature and the character and the works of the Father. So when the Father says you're a son, He doesn't mean something that's of gender. He means something of, of position in, in, in relation to Him. Let me give you a few examples. In um, Revelation chapter 21, we know that He, he who overcomes it shall be, I will be His God and He'll be my Son, not gender-specific necessarily, but um, um, something that is of status, right, before, before him. Having the same sort of DNA, if we want to use a very hackneyed word nowadays. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and verse 18, he says, come out, come, he quotes the Old Testament, he says, come out and be separate, and I will be a father and you will be my sons. Again, he's talking about something that happens qualitatively to us that doesn't come just because we sign on the dotted line and we say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and I, and, I, and, I, and I came up for the altar call. John chapter 1, verse uh, 1, John 1, 12. Uh, sorry, John 1, 12. It says, but to them who believe, he gave him power or authority to become sons of God. So there's something about being a son or a daughter that is 
that is our inheritance. It's inlaid in when we become a Christian and Christ has, Christ has come to us by the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Spirit. It says we have given the Spirit without measure. So we have Christ who is without measure, God. We have His nature, His character. Now, unfortunately, many people don't become sons in that sense. Yeah? They don't become people who are, now, now we are understanding sons to mean um, people who manifest the acumen, the wisdom, the character, the ability, the riches of the, the parent of God. I had the blessing, privilege, of surprise uh, a few years ago when I was speaking at a conference and uh, it happened that two of my children were there in that conference. It was a college conference and uh, it was a Saturday night and I had given an altar call and... Uh, so there were these people that just came up. And as I went to pray for one person, as I stepped towards her, demons began to manifest out of her. And so she began to convulse. And everybody moved out of the way. Okay? Moved out of the way. And I asked for volunteers to come and help, help to pray. But nobody wanted to come. So she was, she was on, the, on the ground unconscious, speaking out, kind of rest, struggling and, and all that. And then one person came to pray with me. And it was my daughter, one of my daughters. <laughs> I said, oh! <laughs> and we dealt with it quickly. And then everybody came back. But I realized that in that incident, it's not the point that she got something from me. It's that she got something from God. She was inheriting not me, not, none of my acumen or my own whatever, but she was inheriting something from God. I was just her dad kind of guiding her into these things and telling her these are the things that you can do. But I remember that, that point. I was just focusing on that and then suddenly I saw somebody rush, you know. Whereas other people were wash, rushing out this way. She was rushing out this way. And immediately prayed and started casting out demons. In a few seconds, it was done. And that, uh, that woman just got up and she was smiling. And she was just rejoicing and just praising God, you know. It was just wonderful to see the tears staring, streaming down on her eyes. That, and that God had just delivered her just like that. Amen. Now, I believe that you will miss the whole point if you think that I'm trying to say that she's my daughter and therefore because of that, she got something from me. The point is not that she got something from me because my mentoring is only relatively uh, important. The main thing is that she got something that had been inlaid into her whole new person by the Spirit. Does that make sense? Now, that's really important because... That is just an illustration of the more that she and others, all of us, can do. And there's no special privilege given to blood. Blood is thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood, there, I've, I've been told. Yeah? Okay, so I believe that. I believe that. So I wanted to just look at this, because we are talking about Isaac being able to have the spiritual senses that even though he was being pushed around in the valley of Gerar, he had a nose to be able to find the treasure of water, right? We saw in Job uh, chapter 14, uh, there is still hope for a tree that when, even when it is cut down, it will have a, 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 a scent of water and it will flourish again. I believe that God has given us that spiritual sense that we can find water, we can find the works of the Holy Spirit, we can find the works of God in us. And that is our inheritance. You can actually die not experiencing that inheritance, but you have it still. Yeah, whether you manifest it or not, you still have it. 
It's like that thing I was talking about, that, that, that brightly shining ball of light that's buried in the ground. Nobody is, sees it, but it's still shining. It's not shining only when you look at it, but it is shining nevertheless. And so uh, we want to talk about this, how we actually dig for treasure. I want to say a little bit more about sonship so that we don't think of it in any fleshly way. If you can turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. Let's lay a, a proper foundation so that we don't think of it as a matter of human achievement. Yeah? Romans chapter 8. And we will read it from verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Yeah? So there's defining, defining terms. When we're talking about sons of God as manifesting certain qualities. They're led by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I could never relate to that. I don't know about you. When I was growing up as a teenager in college, I just couldn't identify that. I didn't feel like I could call God Abba or Appa or, or by that kind of intimate name. I just, I just couldn't identify with it. But it says here, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, we don't have the, do not have the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. I felt none of that. Okay, I just I don't mind telling you, I just felt nothing. I could not relate to that at all. That whole like Abba, Father, bearing witness. I don't bear witness in any other, any of that stuff. It's disturbed me. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So there is this, 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 this sonship. Yeah? There's this sonship that all of us are. You know, I'm a bride of Christ and you are a son of, son of God, Sonia. And it happens, it's not a gender thing, right? Not a gender, gender, gender thing. But what Paul is saying is that we are led by the Spirit. We are sons of God. It's almost as if we, we prove ourselves to be, we manifest sonship. We can be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us directly. And also we have this sense and I don't know how we can describe it, okay? The bearing witness that we are sons of God. It's almost as if something inside us is telling us, you're a son of God. You're loved by God. You belong to God. Something bears witness of God's divine holding of us. You're held by Him. Now, I got to tell you, when I was growing up, I never felt that emotionally from my, from my father. He, I knew he loved me, but it was not an emotional thing. I knew that I didn't have to worry financially about anything because he would care for me. If I'm in trouble, he would always take care of me. So he loved me. I knew that he loved me. I didn't feel it as an emotional thing. But what this is saying is something more than just knowledge in my head that my father loves me. Don't you think? It's something that's felt, even if not emotionally, it's felt. You feel there's something bearing witness. You know what's bearing witness? It's like something on your inside is telling you, persuading you, giving you the sense of it. And if that thing is not switched on, you may find yourself deaf to that. 
if that spirit is not switched on, quickened or brought alive, you can go through a whole Christian life doing missions, going in full-time ministry, worshipping God, doing all the kind of stuff, being in community, being in VCF, all that, even hearing from God, and still not knowing that you are a son of God or a daughter of God. So Paul is talking about something in the spirit in which, and this is something that's so important, you see, because if not, then you're going to find so many inconsistencies, so many hard things about the Christian life that you could actually blame God for everything that goes wrong. But there's, there's something inside that despite all the logic, besides all the thought that, that happens, before, besides all that tells you, something more compelling is giving you the knowledge, telling you, giving you the knowledge, in not only telling you so that you can hear it or think about it, but putting it inside you, depositing inside you that the manifestation is that you just know that you are a son of God. You don't have to earn anything. You are that. And not only that, you cannot help talking about that more than anything else. You will talk about that more than ambition. You will talk about that more than all the other Christian, Christian things that everybody's talking in, in Christian culture. You will talk about the love of God as something more dominant than anything else. Because you just feel loved by God. Now, if you're not feeling that, don't, don't, don't fret, okay? Don't worry about it. Because God has that for you. But in some ways, I want to try to describe it in such a way that we don't conflate what the Christianese and Christian, Christ, common Christian experience with this thing that is much more precious. That's the love of God. The love of God is not manifest by sentiment, which is an excess of feeling over the matter. That's sentimentality. Yeah? We're not talking about Reducing God into size so that He's re relatable, like a teddy bear. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm not talking about the kind of love that you even have with your daddy. It's far greater than that. It's much, much more than that. It's the, the bearing witness. And He says if you bear witness, you're led by the Spirit. You are a son of God. More than a child of God. If you don't feel that, don't feel scolded because I'm just trying to say, this is for you. It's available for you. It's already been given. The price has been paid. He has already proven, paid every price that he has. You may just need to experience it. That is why a lot of Christianity is either too hard or too soft. Trying to compensate for the, the hardness, we go into softness and trying to, trying to project upon God the holiness that we feel is not, 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 not present. Then we get into hardness. But the love of God is something else. And I can sense it when people talk about it out of, out of not the love of God. Because if you felt, if you met, met that love of God and it has changed you, you know what is not love. Love is something else. It's something else, you know. And so he's saying, you are led by the Spirit, you are sons of God. Why? Because to be led by the Spirit, you have to have that closeness. Because there are things that God wants to speak to you that are not just words. They are things that people who are in love with one another can feel from one another. It's the love. The love of God is not manifest by sentimentality, but it is manifest by things that are even hard. So that's why he says, you are sons of God if you suffer with Him. Why? Because that love is manifest through hard things. It's not, if you love me, you must suffer for me. I used to think that. When I did not know the love of God, when I hear about those things about suffering, I thought, if I want to love God, then I must suffer for Him. Then I would say, I've got to think about that. I mean, I'm not sure whether I want to love you yet. <laughs> maybe later when I'm older, maybe when I'm 65. No. But, but what, what, what the love of God that's mentioned in Romans chapter 8, it has to do with 
the fact that when we bear witness to that, that we are children of God, we are sons of God, then it says at the end, that, that verse, verse 17, if we suffer with Him, that love of God, the love of a son, and I, you, I hope you don't mind me using the word daughter as well, um, is something that is proven just like the wise men proved that giving, suffering, is a direct overflow of that. You just can't help it. It's not grievous. It's suffering that's not grievous. And I, and I, and I, and I want to say that God has that for us. I'm going to read it again so that um, perhaps it may come together. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So a child can be an heir as well. We inherit the character of God and the power of God and the strength of God, the wisdom of God. And, and that ana analogy makes sense because it is children growing into sons, growing into heirs, you know. And as we do that, then we inherit more and more, you know. And as we inherit more and more, we grow into the things that God has. So I, I want to it to you that this Christmas we can actually think about this, meditate upon this, that God wants us to grow so that we don't think of all the things that great men and women of God have done in the past as something that's locked into history, but something that is that that, that overflows the river and it's available for us. So there's a way in which this digging for digging the wells for this treasure, this inheritance, is something that is really for us. And I'd like to talk about one aspect of this sonship and this inheritance um, along the journey by looking at Psalm 62. Yeah? Psalm 62. And I'm going to read uh, parts of it. For God alone, my soul, verse 1, waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I'd like to talk about silence as the way in which God makes us son sons and daughters. Verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this that power belongs to, you, to God, and that to you, O God, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. There are places in the search for the star, for, the, for, the, for, for, for God, that we enter into in this path, this valley that's, that's, that, that is on the way to Zion. And in these places, we experience sometimes the silence of God. 
that is met with a, a corresponding silence from ourselves. And what the psalmist is saying is, from God alone, my soul waits in silence. In Psalm 65 it says, silence and praise will await thee in Zion. The silence is the silencing of every other thought, every other emotion, every other activity, every other voice, every other competing claim upon our attention, or our time, upon our loyalty. And what happens is that God is converting us into sons, and that process in which God converts us from, from, from uh, just children or from, from outsiders to sons is a very profound thing. As Psalm 62 talks about how God has to be approached with silence. With silence. And we've been talking about how God, and even as we pray, we pray until every other voice, every other thought is silenced. Yeah? It comes to zero. But there's another aspect of that silence that has to do with the silence of God. The silence of God is something that you and I will experience and, do, and have already experienced. Perhaps you are experiencing it now along the way. The silence in which God does not seem to be speaking. The silence in which God does not seem to be giving any words, interpretations, feelings, nothing. Just absolute concrete silence from God. And we do experience that. That experience, even when we are in prayer, even when we are fasting, is a silence in which sometimes we just cannot get around. Most people give up praying because of that silence from God. But what is happening is this. God is actually doing a work in us to silence every device that we have to fill that silence with our own thoughts, our own encouragement. You see, we live within the sound, sound cloud of our own encouraging, encouragements. We have intuitive ways in which we encourage ourselves, don't you think? We comfort ourselves in certain ways by our logic, by our trying to work things out. We're trying to be able to, 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 to sift out the data, talk to ourselves, quote scriptures to ourselves, you know, we develop our own mantras, but we also find ways in which we want to be secure. And in, being, in wanting to be secure, we find ways of maintaining that security, upholding that security. And that has a lot to do with things that we say to, to ourselves, to encourage ourselves. That's not wrong. That's actually natural and it's re really good. If you're, not, if you're doing that, that's normal. But in encountering God, God brings all that to zero. Because if He does not bring it to zero, you will not be able to distinguish between Him and you. The silence is to bring to an end, bring to nothing, the old man. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we've been talking about that in pillars a lot. That God will, the old man, the, 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 the body of sin, will be brought to nothing so that we will not be enslaved to sin. There is a way in which I believe God wants to take us into sonship in a, in a, in a, in a fresh way. And it's this. We tend to not be led by the Spirit, but we're led by our own thoughts. When Romans chapter 8 says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, right? He's talking about being directly led so that the leading, the impression, the, the, the way in which God's leading us, that He's witnessing is, is immediately responded to, not through the mediation of our thought, our own playing safe. Many people don't experience God's mighty miracles because whatever God is leading them into is mediated by this margin of space called our own thought. 
So if it fits into our logic, it fits into our empirical evidence, it fits into our own kind of safety, security kind of um, uh, apparatus, apparatus, then we will do whatever we think God is saying in a safe way. The sons of God actually are people who function by a whole different instrument, a whole different faculty, not through the mind. If you do not experience that and let that lead out, you will always reduce what God's leading you into into what it reduces to in your mind, in your observation, in your own particular calculations. I know some of you are saying, well, we can't be reckless. Yes, correct. We'll get back to that later, hopefully. But what I'm saying is this. The, the raw truth has to do with the fact that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, there's a way in which, in order for God to heal us of our minds, because our minds are always reducing the big things of God into something really small and very trivial. Does that make sense? Why is it in other countries, you have a lot of people who are doing mighty, mighty miracles. And we come to America and say, all these mighty miracles, all those big things of God, just be reduced to something very small. Just pusillanimous, just small, small things. And we have to collect all these little, small, small things. And I'm not, I'm not belittling these things. I'm saying, surely there's that and more. That too. Because if you don't have small things, then you, then you have big holes in your foundation. Small things is made of... Small things are really important. But if it's all small things and it's few and far between, there's something of a filter that's filtering out the very power of God and making it something more domesticated. Something that's relatable. It's relatable. It's much more relatable. But the things of God are much more, much, 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 much more than that. They're not relatable. If you can relate to it, then you are already equal to it. It's not relatable. But there's a way in which God is wanting to cause us to be changed in our minds. And that is why in our prayer, you will find that a lot of times when you're trying to seek God, you will find that you come to this place in which you cannot hear God. It's just silence. Just concrete, nothing. All you can hear is the resonance of your own voices. All the negativity as well as the the ways in which we prop up our own flagging confidence. And after a while, you just wonder, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And what God is giving you is silent treatment. <laughs> Not because He's resentful of you. The silent treatment is the silence that will put to death, bring to nothing the works of the flesh. Including the ways in which we take God's thing and we transpose it into something mental. We transpose it. We automatically transpose brilliant things, mighty things, into domesticated things, things that are relatable. But when you become a son of God, you die, see? The first thing that happens when you, when you, when you come to Christ, you die. He brings that to an end. He brings that to nothing so that you will not be enslaved to sin. And when that happens, it's sometimes quite painful. Now, I've realized that the frustration of not hearing from God, the frustration of just only hearing this, the, the echo of my own, my own negativity, my own, my own words, is a treatment that God is putting upon me. And if you're experiencing that, bully for you, good. It's not a bad thing. It is a way in which God is bringing to zero, bringing to death, all our own ways of thinking our spiritual new, neuro, neurology, so to speak. That's the way in which we are wired. God is bringing that to an end. Because you see, we are habitually um, doing this transposition from what comes from the heart of God straight into the relatable box of our own minds. You must check out whether it's safe. You must check out whether it is. It will, you know, help me to save face. You must check out the the risk factor and check out the my own experience. You have to check out all these things. That's okay, but if that becomes the, the authority, 
in terms of what we are hearing. You are not led by the Spirit, you are led by that. You are led by your, your mind that's subject and contingent upon our own experiences and our own wounding and that kind of, kind of stuff. And so, I want to encourage you that when you experience this concrete silence, that silence in which the only things that are being heard are just the noise of your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own um, phobias, stay there. Most people give up on their inheritance because they can't hack this, this, this space of healing that God is actually bringing to nothing, bringing to silence, even our own hearing of His voice. Because, you see, the problem is this. A lot of times when God speaks to us, we say, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I can relate to that. Yeah, 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 I get it. But we have, what we have done most of the time is that we have reduced it to something that is relatable to our own experience. We've put God in our own image. And God says, stop that. Stop that. When I speak, I speak as God. Do you know how to speak to a God? First of all, you bow down. You say, I don't know anything. You don't say, I know this. Ah, I can relate to this. Oh, yeah, 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 it speaks to me. No, you say, I don't know anything. If you want to speak in a mature way to God, you have to come to that. God is healing you and me. He's healing us. Rejoice, because He's going to convert us into sons. Because sons can do the things that the Father are doing. But I tell you, at the rate most people are going, they will never, even when they die, they will never because they will constantly be doing this transposition from what God is saying into one, something that is relatable in their own positivity. When they're supporting it, we get uncomfortable because our, our comfort and our security is, is supported by a lot of doing. A lot must be happening. If, if, if a lot is happening, then good, I feel more comfort, comforted. A lot of effort, buzzing, our will being fulfilled, our will being pushed forward, activity, knowing all that's happening. We feel comfortable when we know all that's going on. But we are being put constantly into situations in which we don't know what is going on. We don't know what is happening out there. We are not in control of these things. We've, we have a way in which we keep, we, we, we take the Word of God and often we relate it and we splice it together, we conflate it, we kind of, kind of uh, um, um, harmonize it with what we can see. And usually what happens is that because of that, what suffers is the impact of the Word of God upon us. And we can't do it just by thinking it away. We can't do it just by thinking with our mind, okay, I'm no, I know I'm doing that, so I better not do that, I'll, I'll do the reverse. You can't use your mind as the way in which you fix yourself by correcting your thinking because it's not your thinking that, 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 that the, the content of your thinking that, that matters. What's prob what problematic is the fact that your mind is in the middle. Your mind is in the middle of it. My mind is in the middle of it and because it's in the middle of it, I can't, I can't look at my mind and, and, and try to get it out of the way. I can't. The Lord has to bring to nothing my confidence in the flesh. I need something to happen to my mind. Does that make sense? I need something, I need to be healed in my mind. I need my mind to be renewed by the Spirit. The Bible says, be renewed by the, by the spirit of your mind, not just your mind, but your, the spirit of your mind, the way in which your mind is, is functions. And so, whereas as that happens, and God heals us, our minds become able to handle all the data, all the experience, all the wounding, and all the other stuff that we knew about before, and then God picks it up so that you don't end up dumb. All the intellectual stuff, all the stuff that you've been reading a lot is redeemed. 
but the mind can handle it now. Or else, everything in our intellect and our training and all that can actually hinder us. What God wants is not a better thinking, but He wants a transformed person. So He makes us into sons, sons of glory. Amen? So, I, Psalm 62 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. And it's in this place that I find that if I can stay, knowing that nothing I can do in my prayer can in and of itself clear the cloudy, distracted, anxious thoughts that are going on, but just stay. It says, I wait upon God in silence. I can, all I can do is to be able to say, Lord, I have this. I worship you. I just praise you. I pray in the Spirit until God puts the silence upon me. No longer just the fact that He's giving me silence, not speaking, but that He, at some point, silences all my other noises. Daily prayer is one of the places in which we practice that for one hour every day. We practice that. And as we practice that, what happens is that something is taking place beyond what our thoughts are thinking, rightly or wrongly. There's something that's happening to our spiritual neurology. It's changing our wiring. It's changing the way in which our mind is. Not just how the mind thinks, but how our mind is. So you can imagine, as we search for the, the Christ child through darkness, what God is wanting to do is to shut down a certain fleshly way in which we, 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 uh, we, we discern things and pull up this thing that we were reading about in Romans chapter 8. It's called bearing witness. The spirit actually begins to sound. And at first, it seems really small. Really, really small. But when he speaks, faith is attached to it. Faith comes by hearing. So if you hear and it has faith, then you heard something. If you heard something, there's no faith, then you wait on it and see, see whether it's really from God. But if you hear something, hear, faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes, by, comes with faith, so to speak. That's the corollary of it. And, 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 and what happens is that as we are praying, you're spending time with God, you are beginning to find oh, there's this thing that I don't understand. I have confidence for this thing. I feel I should pray for this brother, this sister, but I pray for that person with a certain amount of confidence. Oh, it feels different. Does that make sense? And what's happening is that you are using a different faculty than just your mind or your, your empirical observations. You are using something else of the Spirit. You can know things by the Spirit. Don't be discouraged when God is putting to death the very place that we used to listen to God through, which is through the mind. I hope God will give us revelation as we're, as we're doing this because we're talking about a conversion, a complete conversion from that which is of the flesh, of the mind, into that which is of the spirit. For many of us, we are not aware of the fact that we have a spirit. That spirit is supernatural. It can cause us to, to be able to have words of knowledge. It can help helps us to sense things deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah? Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It can pop up in different times. But if you have a category for it, you can recognize when he's coming, then you can say, oh, that's him again. Oh, that's that spirit again. Oh, that's that. You know? It's, a, it's amazing how it can happen. And sometimes it can happen when you're not even feeling that spiritual. But it's there. It's ontological. It's something there. It's, it's, it exists. Whether you recognize it or not, it's just there. You know? You're looking for keys. You're looking for things. And then it comes. You may not necessarily be praying, but it comes. It's, it's sometimes even independent of our prayer. Oh boy, we're searching for things and all that, and, 
and, and, and, and, and as you're searching for these things, you get frustrated. All you see is the concrete silence. And then suddenly at the, at the, at the, at the, at the most inopportune time, it comes. I'm reminded, I was sharing with people in FGA in Malaysia, there was a period in, in, in which we had, I had my car keys, I had five or six keys there, very, very vital keys, very important, including the, the key to the car. And it was lost. It was lost. So I started searching for it, searching for it, and couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Weeks went into months. And I prayed. And I went through what some I'm talking, what, I, what I've been talking to you about. I went through that period of praying. Lord, show me where it is. Show me where it is. In the fridge. Where the vegetables are kept. I went into that. Nothing, only vegetables. I guess I wasn't hearing from God. I pray again. In the toilet. In the water closet. Open thing, nothing. And all I hear is the concrete silence. You can get put off. I can get put off by the, that silence. The silence that doesn't just, that's just passive, but just puts you off. That kind of silence. And all I knew to do is to just pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. So, and a lot of inconvenience later, a lot of inconvenience later. I was praying and I saw the keys on the Christmas tree. I went to the Christmas tree and found it there, right there. Eliza, she was three years old. She thought the keys were really good ornament to put on the Christmas tree. And I found it. All those other times when I had all these kind of impressions, oh, God is speaking to me, that it's there, so all the rubbish. I was experiencing the silence of God. And what God was doing was to try to, was, was to, to, to transform my mind, my spirit, bring it to nothing. Because I realized what I was trying to do is to hear from God with my mind. Okay? Get an impression of my mind. And what God was saying is this, uh, you don't even rely on that. Now, I had to experience the times in which I thought, oh, God was saying it's in the, in the crisper in the, in the fridge, and it wasn't. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't feel condemned about it. It's just uh, God is just bringing the mind to nothing. So it, just happens. it happens to us all the time. Don't worry about it. You take up the sounds of silence. I wait for you in silence. You silent to me, I also silent to all the other things. And then at the right time, it'll come. Amen? So Advent is a great time for us to be seeking the Lord. But I want to just leave this word with you. Do not be discouraged when you're not hearing anything. Let the silence of God, the seeming silence of God, be met with a silence in, on our part to all the other things. Amen? Let us pray. Praise your name. Praise your name. Let's uh, close in prayer. But uh, as we close in prayer, I wonder whether we can get ready the Christmas carol, uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And we will sing it from the, I think it's the second verse, How Silently, How Silently. Yeah? Let us pray.
Let's lift up our hearts before him. We just thank you right now to come before you as your children, that you are training us as your sons and daughters. We say, Lord, we love you because you loved us first. Love us right now in a way, God, that takes us from where we're at, from prodigal sons, from older sons that don't know you, to sons that and rejoice that you love us and you want us to love others. Mm. Wow, Lord, we just Amen. say it's a mystery, but you can do this in us just as you've created us, God. And we are here at your good pleasure. And we thank you that you cause us, God, to love being here too. You give us a love that lets us see the meaning of us being here. I just praise you, even this morning, God, I praise you for the gift even as we laugh, God, but even of the draining that Alpha independently, after all was asked, got ready when we should have experienced a flood this morning and somebody quietly put in a place, God, for all that would have been a disaster for us this morning to go away. We thank you that you love us even when we can't make people do what we hope they're going to do, but you can you can cause disasters to go away and you can cause us to live by faith and hope Amen. and love. Thank you. Bless your name, Lord. We welcome your silence, which is the presence of God. We welcome your darkness, which is an excess of your light and not a deficiency of that. We welcome you, Lord. We ask you that you would hold us in place. We ask you that even now as we look out for your heart, who you are reaching out to through us, you sensitize us to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you for this, your presence. That you never left us. Even when we, we could only hear the voice of our own prayers, we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.